This is After Dark with Robin Andrew on the America Out Loud platforms, one of the only true news organizations where you will get the truth. We will report it. You will decide true because we like to break down the news and tell you, tell it like it is. What can I say? Tonight, my special guest host is Heather Robinson of the New York Post, and we're going to discuss the debate that took place last night. I don't know if you guys saw it. It was on News One. I got to be honest with you, Heather. I forgot all about it. And I couldn't even find News One on my TV. I started thinking, I'm like, gosh, where is it? What, What channel is it on? I'm sure a lot of other people out there, Republicans or conservatives or even Democrats, were wondering... Uh, where do I find News 1 and where is it? Is it online only or is it on TV? Well, it is on mm-hmm. TV and I was able to stumble up on it. So I did catch some of it. I think the moderators were Megan Kelly, Elizabeth Vargas, and there was one other person. I don't couldn't catch her name. Mm-hmm. After the debate, I was watching last night. I was watching some of the, you know, spinsters spin it. And what I found mm-hmm. interesting is that Chris Cuomo had an hour after the debate to talk about it. And he had mm-hmm. on his panel with Sean Spicer, who used to be on Newsmax and Fox News. And he had on, I think the guy was Mulvaney, Mick Mulvaney, who was in Trump's administration. And of course, Geraldo Rivera, who has just been like a can kicked down the road from so many different uh, news outlets. I like Geraldo, but I don't always agree with some of his commentary. But mm-hmm. after the debate, they went to Chris Cuomo, and you had all these guys singing the praise of News One, saying, oh my God, how did they do this? You guys pulled this off. This was a great debate. It took Fox News like years to be able to put a debate together like this, but you guys did it in one shot. And of course, Chris Cuomo, he's there smiling and grinning like, yeah, yeah, I'm on News One now, guys. I got, I got kicked out of CNN, but I'm on News One. And what I find interesting about Chris Cuomo is that he's now changing his stance somewhat on Donald Trump. And Andrew and I spoke about this the other night. It appears that he's saying, you know, folks, if Trump becomes president again, it's not the end of the world. We'll be okay. And actually, under Trump, we had a great economy. And he's saying all these other good stuff. And I was just wondering, is Mm -hmm. he saying this because he wants Trump to come on his show? Because we know how Trump is. Trump will forgive. He will forgive and he will forget. And for we know, he he might appear on News One. What do you think, Heather? Well, yeah, he's he's a pragmatist and he will pivot and use you know, what he can, but I get the sense that Trump is one of the few politicians who does not forget. He is so loyalty minded. And I think that's one of the things that distinguishes him, you know, from other politicians. Um, I'm trying to think of examples. Um, he, he, some people criticize him for this, but if somebody disses him, he doesn't, take them back or work with them again, I don't think. Um, and sometimes I think, you know, I, as you know, I, I'm a big fan of his, and I think he did a very good job for us in many ways, and I think he's that one in a million leader who really does what he believes is right, and he has that type of strength of character that can stand against a thousand naysayers and i think that's worth a lot in my calculus but i you know one thing i think he overdoes perhaps is 
he's so fiercely loyalty oriented that if anybody, I don't know, I mean, for an example, I think Kaylee McEnany, who is a sharp commentator, did good work for him as his his press person. I don't remember. She she said something a while ago. Um, I think she she didn't maybe she critiqued him or she it wasn't even that it was that she she interpreted something as being some poll results or something as not being in his favor and he really lashed out against her and i thought it was over the top i mean I, I, my interpretation was she was in her role as an analyst and she was not she was being a journalist and not not a supporter you know, and she gave her honest opinion which was something that was not you know positive toward his chances uh, or something like that. And he, he just lambasted her. So, I mean, my point is, I think that um, I, I don't really have the impression that he works or wants to work with people who haven't stood by him. And of course, not a lot of people have stood by him. You know, they say victory has a thousand fathers. Defeat is an orphan. And I think that's true of most, most people who don't have much character will, you know, be all over somebody when they're winning. Right. But when they're losing, you know, whether you're talking about a politician, a sports team, you know, of course, sports teams that, you know, it's kind of all in fun. But, you know, um, you know, a friend, a spouse, I mean, let's face it, it's easy to love a winner, right? But loyalty is about sticking with somebody when they're losing, too. And I think Trump really, really prizes that. So he does. He does. uh cherish loyalty and he holds that near and dear but you look at nikki haley some of the things that she said about him but he allowed mm -hmm. after jan 6 but he allowed her back into the fold she came to mar-a-lago yes she came to mar-a-lago and she apologized because remember she when she went there mm -hmm. she told him that if he were to run again she would support him only to find out later on that she decided to run and he's like oh you came to me and you told me that you wouldn't run and now you're running even with Ron DeSantis, mm. I think that after all this is said and done, if Ron DeSantis were to come back to him, he would allow Ron DeSantis back into the fold. And that's one of the things that they say is one of his biggest flaws is that he he mm. does treasure loyalty, but at the same time, he's willing to allow people to come back into his fold. So all the well, three people... Or four individuals mm -hmm. that were on the stage. I think that once this is all said and done, if they come back to him and nope, we're going to support you, he would, you know, welcome them back to the fold. The question is, would they do it? I don't think Chris Christie would do it. I don't think Ron DeSantis, maybe Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley. I think she would because a lot of people are saying that she could potentially be his running mate. Not that he's going to pick her. Uh, I was watching her during the debate, and this is one of the things that I don't like about debates, Heather. Mm -hmm. for, for one, we all knew that they were going to bring Trump's name up, especially Megyn Kelly. And mm -hmm. I, I don't like it when they want the candidates to attack each other. I think mm -hmm. it's disingenuous, and I like well, you you got to attack this person, and we need blood. And then once it's said done, whoever wins, you have to support that person because that person will more than likely put you on the ticket as a vice president. Look at what happened to Joe mm -hmm. Biden and Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris called mm -hmm. Joe Biden a racist. In her book, he mm -hmm. is the privileged white man, which the Democrats have created. If that is mm -hmm. the case, why would she go and work, so to speak, as Democrats would see it, subservient up under a white old man who's privileged? <laughs> 
I mean, after calling him a racist, I don't, I'm sure a lot of you remember that debate whereby she said you were a racist. She, she told the story about, you know, segregation. Yes, she was bust. And that's one of the reasons why they say that uh, Jill Biden does not like her. And when she found out that they wanted him to put her in the ticket, she said, of all people, why her? I can't well, believe it. was manipulative. It, seemed, it, it was very it much so. struck me manipulative yeah very much so of Kamala not that I I think Biden might be a little racist I mean I don't you know I don't say that lightly and I you know that's I but, how but can even I put with this that the, the point that I, are a little, right but the point yeah, I wanted to make I, is you know yeah. still with with all of that you know maybe he is mm-hmm. I I think that he I think there are some unknown biases that are there that needs to be checked yeah. but the fact that they always want these candidates to attack each other. And then at the end of the day, mm-hmm. they're supposed to sing Kumbaya. Can we not just have a debate on the issues as opposed to saying, well, this person said that. No, are you going to go after them? I mean, one thing that I would have done with Chris Christie, because I'm really tired of seeing him and he's aging before our very eyes. The guy's look like he's gotten older since he said he's mm-hmm. going to run. And he's also gained a couple of pounds, but that's neither here or there. But one of the things that I would have said to him if I were the other candidates or even the moderator is that why are you here? You don't have a chance of winning. There isn't a path. And a lot of people suspect that you're here just to be a thorn in Donald Trump's side. What is your response to that? Because you don't have a path to victory. You only have probably one or two donors. You're not going to win any of the states. So why are you here? But we know mm-hmm. that you're saying all these things about Donald Trump. So is it that you just don't want him to win, that you just don't like him, that you have a bone to pick with him? Because you were a prosecutor attorney and everything that you're saying, you know for a fact that what he's going through right now is a persecution, but you will deny it. So why mm-hmm. are you here? And I think that one of them should have put that to him. And I'm surprised that Biden Beck never did because he's put everything else against to everyone else. But why yeah, is Chris Christie? Here? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it's the idea that Chris Christie would get the Republican nomination is preposterous. Clearly, that's not happening. I don't know. I mean, maybe he's one thing I have noticed. I'm sure you have too, Rob, is that some Democrats like Chris Christie. So maybe it's, I don't know. Could he be planning to like somehow? I, I don't think he could switch parties, but like try for some independent run or something or be a spoiler. I, I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking, but I know that, that, you know, the Democrats that I know, especially the older ones, you know, who are like, like the old style, more white collar, blue collar, excuse me, you know, guys and people like that. Some of them like Christie. And I think that even though I think Christie and Trump are very different men, I think Chris, Trump's much more, uh, you know, has a, has a core of something more sincere. Um, I think Christie's real in a way. I mean, the pugnacity is real, but he just has no loyalty or character, in my opinion. Um, but I think that he, they're both, they're both the brash, brusque, you know, outspoken personalities. They're both good talkers, you know, in, in different ways. I mean, I think Trump stands for more in, in reality, you know, um, I think Trump's convictions have to do more with the basic kind of, you know, just uh, core kind of love for the country and for freedom and ambition and doing things, fixing things, building things, you know, um, whereas I think Christie's more about himself, 
uh, I mean, I think they both are about themselves, but I think Trump's about more than just that. Right. But I think they have certain similarities is what I'm saying. So maybe in a way, you know, some of the the sort of American spirit kind of rugged individual type people who who aren't strictly speaking, who are more the old style Democrats, Christie appeals to. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's hoping to somehow, you know, I, I don't know. Well, I, I used to Just, like Chris Christie. I, I have to admit, when he was in Jersey, I thought his no-nonsense, hold no prisoners, tough brass yeah. talk. I liked it. But then – and when he decided he was going to run for president, a lot of people said that he should have won – he should have ran in 2012 against Mitt Romney, but the whole thing, the hugging of Barack Obama that killed him. I don't like his vindictiveness. Mm-hmm. I think that he's – I think he's, he's, he's a liar. I think that he's – he has damaged himself trying to go after Trump for some personal vendetta. Like you said, they're both brash. But I think that he's very, Chris Christie's being vindictive. I think he's being hateful. He's being malicious. And he's Mm -hmm. willing to take the country down because of his Mm -hmm. pettiness. When he comes on the stage Mm -hmm. and says, you know, you guys are lying about this and you're lying. It's like, but you're lying also. Okay. And that's the most alarming thing that you're here for the sole purpose of trying to stop a man who's being lied Mm -hmm. on, who's saying that he's he's a dictator. No, you have to have a certain personality to run for the presidency. You have to have a larger than life ego. And as you said, you have to be all about yourself. But with Trump, he's able to separate the two because he doesn't need this. He's already a self-made billionaire. Okay, he does not need this. So why would he want to continue along? And you have Chris Christie saying, oh, well, he's going to go after his adversaries. No, he's going to go after those individuals that broke the law. And it's just so unfortunate that they might be in that bucket of being adversary. So they want to set this thing up so that if should Trump get it, they'll go, oh, well, you can't go after Joe because it's going to look as if though you're going after your adversary. But Joe broke the law. If it's proven that he broke the law, then by all means, they should go after him. The same thing with Merrick Garland and with Christopher Wray. He should go after them because what they've done, the damage that they have put up on this country is incalculable. And Time will tell what they have done. But these goals have sat there colluding and trying to protect this swamp, trying to protect this deep state. And you see it with them all trying to come together. Look at what's her name the other day, Liz Cheney. Oh, I might run again. And anyone over Donald Trump, even Joe Biden, you mean to tell me that you're willing to allow Joe Biden's policies to destroy the country simply because you want the establishment to stay in place, the military industrial complex. You want it to stay in place that it's us versus them and they're calling out the Republicans. No, it's more than that. It's beyond that. No, it's not. Well, I don't mean to to shift the subject, Rob, but with the military industrial complex, I, as you know, I keep saying, you know, as long as we have it, why don't we actually fight a undeniable enemy of this country? Why don't we go after Iran already? I mean, they keep hitting our ships, what, like 70 times since October 7th. I mean, I'm glad they haven't killed any of our troops, of course, but I mean, how long, you know, I mean, it's a miracle that that hasn't happened and they've how many americans have they grabbed including in israel by their proxy hamas how many marines have they have they butchered through hezbollah how many american diplomats have they kidnapped and tortured i mean they've been at war with us for 40 years we got the biggest military industrial complex the biggest military in in human history the most well-trained and varied and and uh, equipped and we don't seem to want to touch them. So I, you know, I mean, I get it. Geopolitics is complicated, but 
maybe somebody can explain that one to me because I do not get it. You know, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that hard. It's what you see is what you get. They're trying to protect uh, Iran. They are shifting our position. They're shifting our foreign policy. I mean, and like you said, you didn't want to pivot, but no, this is a great point to pivot because we see what has been happening around the country since Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th. And it, the, it, look at the streets. And just earlier this week, they had on two, three college professors, presidents of MIT, Penn, and Harvard. What I find interesting is that they, they're all women. Look at how long women fought to be in those positions. And now you yeah. have three powerful women at the heads of three well-known Ivy League institutions, mm-hmm. leaders in education. Mm-hmm. And look how they have failed to protect students. Look at how they have failed to stand up and to call out the bigotry, mm-hmm. the anti-Semitism that's on their campus, how they refuse to say the words they I was watching the, the their testimonies the other day. They obfuscated, they hedged, they him, they went all over. And even one president, I think it was a president of Penn, she was even chuckling as if though to say, you know, I'm not gonna say what you want me to say. You can keep asking, but I'm not gonna say it. And in my opinion, I'm thinking, look at how far we've gotten, but at the same time, how much we have fallen back. Now, we're up against a commercial break, and I want to pick this up because I want to definitely get your thoughts on this. Three women, powerful women, the heads of three major institutions, institutions that were for men, and now you have women at the top, and look at how they, look at their stewardship. You're listening to After Dark with Robin Andrew on the America Outlaw platform. And my special guest host tonight is Heather Robinson. We'll be back after this commercial break. Thank you. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Clean, pure, with premium ingredients, Global Healing's Pure Plant Protein offers 20 grams of protein per scoop. And it's a perfect way to maintain and build lean muscle while indulging yourself. It combines enzymes and probiotics to maximize nutrient absorption, improving digestion, and your gut health. Available in vanilla and chocolate flavors, elevate your protein consumption while supporting your overall wellness with pure plant protein. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD, Global Healing giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. 
And we're back from After Dark with Robin Andrew on the America Outlaw platform and my special host, Heather Robinson of the New York Post. When we went to break, we had pivoted our discussion from the debate that took place the other night to three college presidents that went before the Hill Congress to testify what they are not doing to protect all students on the campus. These three institutions that have always been headed by men, and at one point, only admitted men, are now being headed by females. And when I look at Harvard, when you look at the genesis of Harvard, it was created to teach or train young men in the ministry, the puritanical faith. And look at how Mm -hmm. it has grown since then. And it has, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, graduated many of our leaders of today, uh, be it in corporate or the political sphere. But now we're at a point of inflection, I guess, at 2023, and we have three women at the top. And one of them happens to be a gay black female who's heading Harvard. Now, I'm looking at them and I'm looking at their qualifications, and I'm sure they are respected, but I also question them being in the positions that they're in. Uh, Not that we can't question a man, but we have these three women who are there. And now it's at a critical moment in their careers, and they're before the heel, and questions were put to them as to what they were doing to protect students, and neither one of them could give a direct answer. And the response they gave was almost as if they, they had all got together and rehearsed the same speech. And talking about, well, no, it is, it's not free speech. This is free speech. This is protected. If it was an identity, if this person was, if this, and I'm thinking, oh my God, look at the word salad that's being played out here. And these are women who've Mm -hmm. always said, we can do just as good as a man or even better. Well, I'm sorry. You both, all three of you failed in this instance. Heather, what are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I don't, I didn't see the full hearing. I do want to watch more. I saw Elise Stefanik questioning them. And I mean, it may surprise you to hear this, Rob. I, I, I do believe that more should be done to protect Jewish students and all students on these campuses. There should, there's, you know, <laughs> I've said this in many contexts, threats, uh, Violence or not speech. I don't care, you know, who you are, what your cause is. It's really not difficult. It's very simple. You know, when you're menacing and harassing and threatening somebody that, you know, and certainly once you cross the line into any kind of violence or property destruction, that's not protected by the First Amendment. It really isn't complicated, you know, that part of things. And so, you know, I think there should be crystal clear enforcement of that. But I mean, honestly, I think that these women, you know, they're they're trying to uphold an absolute free speech principle. And technically, I mean, much as I hate it, I mean, if it's speech, if you're saying, you know, I call for the genocide of this group of people, hideous as it is, I mean, if you're, I mean, what they were saying is the content, you know, if it's if it's if it's said as a threat, if it's directed at somebody that's harassment and intimidation as opposed to if somebody writes it in a paper or says the words i mean maybe it's 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 taking things to an extreme sure but i mean in theory could somebody you know be writing a poem or doing something i mean 
I do understand the pure free speech argument, actually. But 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 where I agree with you is I have zero doubt that if this were any other group, God forbid, somebody saying I'm calling for genocide against blacks, I'm calling for genocide against uh, Muslims, you know, then they would have a very different stance. They you know, they're not out absolutists on free speech even when it comes to conservatives coming to well i camps. think that that's I'm what well, and that's moderate what, so they're hypocrites you know well, i mean now congressman stefanik said that they, right congressman mm-hmm. stefanik said that she said that what if it were black and that question was put to i think it was a president of harvard and she couldn't respond she went mm-hmm. through with her the, the regular her regular talking points. She was looking down, but refusing to call genocide of Jews harassment, dangerous hate speech. And she it's a barn, as she said, it was to her, and it is to me and so many others. If she were to replace the word Jews with blacks, you would have people out protesting now, saying she did not stand up for black people. It's, it's open season on black people. That's all we've heard. For the past five years now, look at what George Floyd, open season on black people. They have a target on their backs. It's at that when we with Freddie Gray, they said it with uh, Trayvon Martin. They, every black person who was killed by the police. You had these race pushers saying it's open season on a target. But fast forward to today and we see that there is a target on the backs of Jews. We yeah. see that people are marching yeah. in the streets. And for these university presidents not to be able to call it out for what it is speaks volume yeah. as to how far we as a nation have fallen. Yeah, and I saw that it has crossed into violence. You know, there were some Jewish students assaulted on these different campuses. There was an Israeli student who's information was published at MIT and there was a bounty put on him and all kinds of threats made against him. So, you know, this is, is this, there are, you know, plenty of concrete examples of threats and physical violence. And look, I mean, the reality is that these protests have become violent, you know, in many places. And, you know, I mean, it's, Again, you know, we're, we're faced with something that's, I think, very clear cut. I mean, you, yes, when it comes to something like that, an ugly, hideous statement like that, there's some truth to, I mean, you, it, it is speech. You know, it's horrible, but it's speech. But, you know, tearing things down, defacing private property, hitting people, threatening people is not free speech that is not protected by the first amendment you know read the establishment clause i would say to them it is the right of the people to peacefully assemble to petition their government for redress of grievance peacefully it is not about protecting harassment violence threats and property destruction you know we saw this in 2020 we saw a lot of rationalizing of things that were not protected speech you know, protests that turned violent again and again and again. And it was not ambiguous. I mean, the minute that starts, the government has the right to shut it down. It's not speech. Similarly here, we see this has descended into violence numerous places. That, you know, that, you know that's very simple. So, I mean, I think if they were a little smarter, they would have said, we, you know, we are not going to, 
you know, shut down words, but the minute, the minute there is any threat, you know, physical or, you know, psychological directed at picking on any individual, you know, we are going to, you know, deport these people, you know, they, yes, we, we, you know, stand up for academic freedom. And even if these words are ugly, okay, if they're words, if it's being put in the theoretical, if it's, you know, we can't legislate every kind of speech or something, someone's going to write an opinion. However, I do agree with you that, that I think that the standard in general on these campuses is that kids are supposed to feel safe. They're, this is the way they've set it up. The liberals have made it that way. They have decided that the safety and security and psychological uh, comfort of their students are, has been prioritized when it comes to other minority students. So if that's the way we're going to do it, you know, we're not going to talk about absolute freedom of speech on campus anymore. That's been done away with. So, you know, they've seen to that. So now they have to play by their own rules. They don't get to pick and choose which students get to feel safe. If, if the priority is students feeling safe, and I can respect that, you know, we're not going to take an absolutist position on speech on campuses. You know, when it comes to black students, when it comes to Muslim students, the same applies to Jewish students. I'm sorry. But, you know, there I agree with you that we know, we all know that if, and maybe that's the way it should be. I mean, these are young people, they're kids, you know, they're not hardened and seasoned as the rest of us. They haven't all chosen to be commentators and media hordes, you know, I mean, they're, they're there to learn and, and to be protected to some degree, you know, they're, they're, they or their parents are spending a lot of money to be there. And, you know, they, they need an environment maybe where they need, they can focus on their studies and not feel harassed and, and menaced. And so that if that's the priority for some that that needs to be enforced for everyone. And that means that these administrators need to hold themselves to the same standards they've set, you know, out for everybody else. So it's not just the minority students, it's also the white students. It's not just the Muslim students, it's also the Jewish students who get protection. It works both ways, you know. If you, you know, you don't like, um, you know, something that's ugly, um, mean, anxiety producing and, and feels uh, disrespectful speech on your college campus toward one minority group, you can't, you know, fly toward any minority or majority group. College campuses need to be places where, you know, there are some limits on speech then for everybody. I agree with what you're saying, but what are your thoughts on the fact that you have these three women, mm -hmm. the positions yeah. of power that are leading these universities? Right. And I think mm -hmm. during, in one of the, uh, when uh, Congressman Stefanik was speaking with them, she mentioned the rape of women. Yeah. And the response it, they gave was so just blank. And I thought, really? Right. I Is thought, that, really? We've fallen so far behind that they can't even. What happened to me, too? What happened to believe all women? What happened to it's Honestly, time, Rob, time is up. I think that I shouldn't say this, but. I think Me Too was more concerned about bad sex and offensive, rude remarks and being rubbed the wrong way than actual violent rape. 
I don't think it was as much about true brutality and real violence against women, real violence, as it was against kind of other things that are not so respectful, but that really, uh, I think the worst kinds of rape, the, the things that we saw happen in Israel, the murder, mutilation, humiliation and degradation, throngs of men breaking women's pelvises and legs and dragging them through the streets and spitting on them, the kind of nightmare rape that every woman dreads the, the nightmare of and that we all know, you know, what it is. And, you know, we all know what the worst kind of abuse of women and, and, and children and men, by the way, also from what I've read, we know what real rape is. And that's not really where they're priori- putting their priorities, in my view. Nor did Me Too concern itself with human trafficking, um, which is a horrible problem all over the world, including across our southern border. So I think that the worst of the crimes against women went pretty much um, unacknowledged and unaddressed by Me Too, which was more about, I think, more about power, you know, and women who have a certain degree of protection in the world and power already wanting more power. But that's just that part is my opinion. I I don't think that uh, I think these women ought to be ashamed of themselves for for not just expressing solidarity with our fellow women and the horror and disgust at the absolute depravity that the whole world saw that Hamas bragged about. Anyone who could have watched that video of that young woman whose legs were broken, thrown in the back of a pickup truck, her body was desecrated by hundreds, hundreds of Gazan men. And I put men in quotation marks. So any woman who calls herself a feminist who doesn't know what she thinks about that probably should just sit down for good. And these women, you know, I I also think that in general, one of the things women tend to have strength in a lot of times is being relational, um, making decisions based on emotional intelligence as well as logic. But I think it's real interesting that in this particular case, these women leaders have decided to not be relational, not be um, sensitive to their students. Now they're choosing to, uh, I mean, to stereotype, they're kind of taking the male sort of approach of pure logic. You know, we're going to look at this as, you know, um, uh, you know, what is the absolute, absolutist free speech principle? What are the legalities here? which, as I said before, they don't generally do, you know, women or, you know, liberals, when it comes to college campuses, it's all about feelings and, um, you know, not the pure, you know, absolutist kind of, you know, impartial, logical, legal argument. But they're they're making that now, you know, they're not so concerned about um, people's feelings, security, uh, psychological well-being, you know, um, you know, now, you know, we've been told for quite a long time that, you know, the model of male leadership in the world, you know, is, uh, you know, lacking and that, you know, women bring these unique strengths to leadership. But I think it's interesting that in this case, 
the more emotionally intelligent leadership is lacking in, in these women. And suddenly they've decided to be these, these arbiters of, of, you know, pure logic in their approach, which as you said, Rob, they would never, never have toward any other minority. They're picking and choosing which minorities to be sensitive to. It's just, they're just, there's no consistency. I don't understand how people can't see through this already, Rob. I, I cannot fathom. I mean, how intelligent people aren't fed up with this by now. Well, Heather, they, you know, don't want I mean, to, they, they don't want to see through it. We're up against another commercial break, and we're going to pick this up on the other side. How people, why they haven't seen through this, and the same thing with the election, with what's happening with the election with Donald Trump. Are people, do they see it, and they're refusing to see it? Or what exactly is happening? You listen to After Dark with Robin Andrew on the America Outball platform. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. Thank you. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. And we're back with the last half of After Dark with Robin Andrew, and we're talking about the debate that recently took place and the three university presidents go before Congress and virtually just lie. Lie about the truth, lie about what we're seeing in Israel, lie about what's happening here in America, lie about what's happening on their college campuses. And as Congressman Stefanik had said, if she were to replace the word blacks take out Jews and put the words black, would there be a different response? And they're trying to spin a narrative, hoping that you will fall for it. And unfortunately, a lot of people are falling for it, especially on our college campuses. Well, yes, you know, meanwhile, a little ray of hope, Rob, in the midst of this sea of, of hatred and ignorance. I wrote an article this week for Jewish News Syndicate about some professors at the University of Pittsburgh who are trying, you know, to light some candles in the darkness. They're trying to bring together 
some Jewish and Muslim students there. And their point is very simple. They're not getting political. They're saying in our neighborhood, in our campus, we want to treat each other nicely. That's it. You know, you can hold different views about the Middle East or about whatever. But here, we are not going to threaten. We are not going to scream. We're not going to um, dehumanize each other. And that's it. That's their whole point. We're just going to get together, talk about other things, have a matzo ball soup and hummus and pita and be nice. And there were quite a few people who showed up, mostly graduate students and professors, not as many undergraduates, which I thought was kind of interesting in and of itself, because I think the younger people tend to be the more radical. The younger you get, unfortunately, uh, maybe more exposure to TikTok and, you know, political correct, loony education, whatever. But, but, but on the plus side, there were some nice people there, very nice people. And they were saying they just don't want their campus to become uh, a sea of hatred. And I was happy to see that there were people, you know, from both sides there. So that's the University of Pittsburgh, which isn't considered a quote-unquote elite school, but I guess they got a lot more brains than the people at Harvard and Penn and uh, what was the third school? Uh, MIT. So that was nice to see this week. It was nice to see. And there, like you said, there is always a glimmer of hope no matter what we do and no matter what is happening we hope and pray that we will persevere and get beyond it. But that all being said, we still have to address the fact and acknowledge the cruelty that is taking place. Otherwise, we will forget yeah. it. Otherwise, we will say that it did not exist. And as harsh and as difficult as it might be, we still have to acknowledge it. And when I say acknowledge it, accept the fact that it is happening and that it did happen. When we were during commercial break, you and I we were talking, and I shared we shared with you a story that I had heard of this one Jewish woman who was being brutalized by these evil, demonic terrorist Hamas. It raped her, and they were doing everything else uh, that you wouldn't do or treat a human being, and. In the process, apparently, uh, some of the hostages that were released who saw this and heard about it, they said that the young woman was screaming out and crying and saying, you know, why don't you just stop? You've already done enough to me. I'm not going to live. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm not going to I'm, I'm not going to live. I'm going to die. Just leave me be. And they continued their brutal attack. And to so have boring. people right to have people like these university presidents, women, and women as a whole call themselves feminist and denying that any of this has taken place or saying that Hamas is doing the right thing. Shame on you. Shame yeah. on all of you. Yeah. Because women fought so hard for the right to vote, the right to be counted, the right to work, and this administration, and I say this administration because it's happening under Joe Biden, and I do link this to some of his policies, a lack of policies, and some of the woke individuals, progressive Democrats, that he's allowed in the party to take control. I blame them 
I blame them for not standing up and calling this out. I blame them for not saying that, no, men should not be participating in the sports of women. I blame them for setting back the women's movement, women's rights movement, back 2,000 years. I blame them for their inability to stand up and be counted. I blame them for the hardship that their daughters, their granddaughters, and other women coming along will encounter. I blame all of them. I blame Michelle Obama, who has not come out to make her voice heard. When she made her voice heard during the whole Bokeem uh, African, when they were stealing the African girls from the villages, she came out and said, bring our daughters back home. But now she's quiet. I blame Oprah Winfrey, Gail King, who have been quiet, who have been silent, and their silence is complicit. It is complicit. And all these other women of power, so they think. Yeah. This is that we this will be placed at their feet so that when people do come out and say, we want the right to do this, they will be shut down because these women who have a voice, who have a platform, who could stand up and say this is wrong. Men mm-hmm. should not be participating in female sports simply because they say I wear a dress or I'm taking hormone pills. And enough of this whole thing, but this is my identity. No, no, no. It's wrong. It's a psychological problem that needs to be addressed. Shame on you for not being having a sisterhood to stand up. These are the same women about yeah. Afghanistan yeah. to fall after we said that we would be there for the women if they were to stand up. Well, they stood up, and when Afghanistan fell, where were you? Nowhere. So all of them have blood on their hands. All of them when they see that their fellow sisters are suffering. They're bigoted, prejudiced, and Heather, they're also mm-hmm. misogynist. Well, I don't know that I'd go so far as they have blood on their head, but I think they're, they're fakes. I don't think they're really concerned about the worst abuses against women and girls. And I mean, I think they're picking and choosing, and so much of this is honestly about kind of like what's trendy as opposed to deep abiding concern for human rights and trying to protect women who are the most truly vulnerable. And I felt that way even before this happened. I mean, I mean, it's very hard to get stories published about human trafficking across the Southern border. Although I did publish one in the New York post, but you know, most of these women's, I mean, what, what look, can I tell you the truth, Rob? What, what sells more papers is, these stories of accusations of what happened, you know, what starlets say was uh, attempted to be done to them in a fancy hotel, but they got out in the nick of time and, you know, women, pretty women working in Andrew Cuomo's office who said he wanted to play strip poker with the, I mean, really some of these stories reminded me more of like salacious things I'm not, look, I don't mean to dismiss, I guess, you know, it's not nice for women to be in those situations, but, you know, let's get real. I mean, it's kind of like, like obsessing about people being pickpocketed rather than people who are being dismembered and tortured to death. I mean, there are degrees of evil and harm and the worst of the abuse against women is not really what Me Too was concerned with. And this is the proof. I mean, this is, these are 
accounts of torture, mutilation, mass gang rape and murder, and they don't have anything to say about it. So how deeply invested and, and deeply troubled and, and enraged are they about the worst crimes against women? I mean, it's, it's much more about politics, about whose side you're on, and maybe it's about themselves, they, you know? But, I mean, people who really care, yes, about, about women, I mean, and about humans that would have to have been and are beyond heavy-hearted and enraged by what we saw October 7th. And by the way, you know, I think any sincere humanitarian is sad, I, I want to say, and I've said this before, you know, we are very sad about death on the Palestinian side of innocent people, of children. You know, I saw some stories that absolutely broke my heart, that have weighed heavy on my heart. But it's, you know, I, I don't want to get morally confused, Rob. I know that this is something that would not be happening if Hamas had not provoked this deadly confrontation I mean, Israelis are not obliged to let their children die because somebody else picked a vicious, violent, brutal, murderous fight and went on a massive rampage and then ran back home and hid under hospitals and among their children. They provoked it just as, as you know, the Arab side has been provoking war with Israel again and again and and. That's, that's not to demonize everybody on their side. That's not my point. But you have to understand that to understand why this keeps happening. Israel's on the receiving end of total xenophobia. The leaders in the Arab world and in the Palestinians, they do not want peace. They don't want to stop. Or they would have had their state by now. They would have taken one of the many deals they've been given. So this is what's happening. But that doesn't mean... you know. None of us, I mean, nobody I know, no Jewish person, no Israeli wants war, wants to see Palestinian babies die. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And I just want to say that, you know. I still look at this, Heather, and I wonder, how did we allow ourselves to get here in 2023? And looking at this, looking at how women are allowing other women to be persecuted, and there isn't a loud outcry. Like you said, the Me Too movement, what was it about? I thought it was about to protect women. And I think that a lot of this was uh, much to do about nothing. It was being these women were being vindictive. Yes, there were some women who were attacked, and it shouldn't have happened. And they should and they should speak up. But a lot of these celebrities that were on that bandwagon, where are they now? Yeah. Where right. are they now with speaking out? Where so, are, why aren't they lending their voices to the cause now? What was it for? What was it all about? Were they really being sincere? And some of them weren't. It was just for attention and that was it. Like I mean, I called out the names Oprah Winfrey, who was really big with, you know, Time's Up, uh, Michelle Obama. Both quiet. Quiet while these women are being persecuted, quiet. And then we're supposed to sit and believe, you believe all women in, where's Maria, uh, Maisie Hirona? Where is she? Where is 
Nancy Pelosi and standing in unison and, you know, taking a knee and saying, this shouldn't happen. This should stop. Where are all these people? They're quiet. Nothing to be said. Nothing at all. It's horrible. Absolutely horrendous. And may we never forget this moment in time, because if we forget it, we are doomed to repeat it. It's happening here. We see it on TV. We read the stories. But we're supposed to believe that what we see isn't happening. We're supposed to believe that one group is better than the other, that it's okay for them to attack our Jewish brothers and sisters. It's okay for them to say the horrible things. They say death to the Jews. That's okay. But don't say it for a black person because you know you're definitely a racist. Where's Al Sharpton? Where are any of these leaders? Quiet. May we never forget what's happening. May we never forget what's happening. Because if we do, we are doomed to repeat it again, Heather. And we, yeah, and, thought, we, and we thought that the Holocaust was enough, but apparently not. No, and even when Hamas made videos and bragged about all this, they did not, people were denying that it happened. You know, that's disgusting and it's interesting. And I think that that's behind the phenomenon of ripping down the posters, by the way, of the, of the poor hostages, the captives, these people who were just grabbed. And, you know, how could anyone do that? And I was thinking about that. I mean... As someone who looks at this, I honestly, I feel very sad when I see Palestinian kids die. I mean, who, you know, what kind of person wouldn't? And, you know, I hope that Israel is prosecuting the war with as much effort to preserve civilian life as possible. They say they are. I believe they are. They're, they're dealing with a, a totally treacherous, shameless enemy that is setting up this whole situation to make it impossible for them you know, they're, they're surrounding themselves with their own children and our children, our hostages, they're, you know, the innocent people they grabbed, everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's a horrible manipulation. We know this. But I was thinking, you know, how, how could anybody, you know, be offended by a picture of someone who's missing and an innocent person? And, you know, I see the way we are and we all feel love and concern for these people. And, I, you know, and you... I, I realize it's because a lot of the people on the other side, the so-called leaders, for one, they use their own children. They use their children as pawns. You know, they, they put themselves, you know, their military equipment all around the children. They purposely set it up so that more kids will get hurt and die when Israel is hunting for the these terrorists, you know. So I realized, you know, this is their manipulation. This is what they do. And they work the world up. You know, the more the more Palestinian children die, these poor children, they're, you know, that's what brings sympathy to their cause. It's a horrible manipulation. It's an evil use of the innocent. So when they see the pictures of the captives, the Israelis and others, you know, that's what they maybe think we're doing. You know, in other words, we're posting these pictures because we want, we are in grief and worry and we don't want the world and ourselves to forget our, our brethren. You know, we want to do something to try to help and to try to remind everyone to do something to try to bring them back that's our motivation and love it's not you know and yes we want people to know that they and that we by extension have been victimized but for us the point isn't to manipulate it's coming from a place of love okay but you know my theory about why these people that are tearing down the, the posters why they're enraged they don't 
you know, they see it and they think, oh, you know, we're trying. First of all, in their universe, only they are allowed to be the victim, right? And this is kind of like the identity politics thing. In that framework, only certain people are um, uh, victims, angelic, pure, righteous, and other people are oppressors, evil, you know, got everything they had by exploiting. You know, this is their world, which we've talked about many times, Rob. It's a fixed idea. It's a, call it Marxism, you know, only instead of class, it's race. That's the, you know, the criterion. But it's, it's a totally black and white kind of simplistic. It's a fanatical kind of of kind of uh, paradigm. But I mean, in that in that worldview, only they are ever the victim, you know, they're, they're never wrong, they never have bias, or, you know, uh, they never err, they, they, they're never greedy or exploitative of anyone, you know, in any interaction, they're the pure victimized, oppressed angel, and the other person is the, you know, greedy, exploitative, oppressive, evil, insensitive pig. So it's like when they see these innocent people, these images of, you know, which we're posting in love and concern, to them, it's a threat. It's a threat to their identity, I think, because they can't, it's cognitive dissonance, because it's like, even they know on some level, that for Hamas to have intentionally run across the border and just grabbed babies and elderly and raped women and broke pelvises and dragged and spat on people and yanked them onto trucks, even they in their in their totally simplistic black and white unit, they know it's wrong. It was wrong. So, you know, so the pictures of these innocent people threaten not only, you know, that it, it's the other side, but it threatens their whole PC, you know, um, identity politics, their whole worldview in which, uh, you know, only they suffer. You see what I'm saying? So I think that's why they've been ripping down the posters, because what Hamas did was so extreme that it can't be, it doesn't fit their brainwash. So I think they're threatened for that reason. And it, this all came to me the other day. I don't know if you agree with me, but I think that's what's going on. Well, Heather, that about runs it, uh, sums it up, and we're out of time. I want to thank everyone for joining us for another edition of After Dark with Robin Andrew. Uh, we will be back for more. And as my dear friend Andrew would always say, stand for something or fall for nothing. You've been listening to After Dark with Robin Andrew on the America Outlawed platform. God bless. God bless America. God bless Israel. And good night.